The context uh, for the passage this morning in Ephesians chapter 5 goes back to what um, Todd was talking about last week, and that is uh, found in the first two verses of this chapter, that we're to imitate Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. Uh, Christ came to show us how to be truly and fully human. He demonstrated that to be fully and truly human is to love. It is to be self-giving. It is to abandon yourself. But giving yourself for another is risky behavior. It frightened us when it appeared among us. So when we saw it in Jesus Christ, we crucified it. We'd rather be taking than giving. And that's why Paul says in verses 3 through 5, the beginning of the passage this morning in Ephesians, that fornication and greed, which he calls idolatry, by the way, should have nothing to do with us. I like the way Eugene Peterson puts uh, his translation of uh, verse 5. Listen to this. You can be sure that using people or religion or things just for what you can get out of them, the usual variations on idolatry, will get you nowhere, and certainly nowhere near the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God. See, in the darkness that commodifies everything, we've turned sex into an industry, for instance. Carl's Jr. even uses it to sell hamburgers. We consume it as a manifestation of our, um, of our, our um, being as takers. And maybe it's the only activity where greed manifests itself the most. And that kind of taking, Paul says, will certainly get you nowhere near the kingdom of God. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. God made us whole beings. Sexual relations are part of that, and God gave us permission to celebrate that. Um, if you've forgotten that, then read Song of Songs this afternoon. And God declared all of that good. It's a God-given way of, of allowing us to give ourselves completely. And that's why disassociating those sexual relations from a covenantal relationship is like, uh, well, it, it's like putting your tongue on a cold pipe in the winter because when you walk away from it, you leave something of yourself behind. Sorry it's so graphic, but it makes the point, right? <laughs> but but the, kind that, the kind of relationship that, that, uh, that, or thing that Paul is talking about in verses 3 through 5 is, is uh, a present reality. When in, in our culture today, over half the high school graduates have already had sexual relations. In our society today, when... Um, you know, an extramarital affair isn't something you hear about, it's somebody you know. When um, sex is treated casually like it is in the soaps, treated like indoor recreation, the problem with that approach, the problem with a, a playboy philosophy, for instance, isn't that it makes too much of sex, it's that it makes too little of it. But uh, it, it, it tries to disassociate sex from the rest of life. But, but, but God simply didn't make us that way. And that's why the Bible usually uses the word to know when it talks about sexual relations. I remember one time when uh, Trevecca was teaching uh, some little kids and, and uh, 
talking about Mary and Joseph and having the baby, and, and the little kid said, but my grandma's Bible says that Joseph didn't even know Mary yet. There's really a lot of significance to the fact that the Bible uses that word to talk about our sexual relations. Because what it's saying is that um, that's one area of our lives where we can give of ourselves instead of being takers. But we prefer being takers rather than givers. And, and, and maybe, maybe sex is so prevalent in our society because it's symptomatic of, of our attempts to try to overcome some sort of loneliness in our lives, some sort of isolation in our lives to satisfy this God-given need to give ourselves, to, to find that intimate and close relationship. We're com- but, but, but we live in a society where that kind of commitment may last as long as it takes to get your clothes back from the dry cleaners. God meant for us to leave others in order to cleave to another in a committed relationship. In fact, the only parallel to that in the New Testament is a, is a marriage relationship that Paul relates in a passage we're going to look at in a couple of weeks, where Paul says that Christ is related to the church like a husband is to a bride, because it's, Paul will say that he gave his life up for her. The same kind of language that Paul was using to start this chapter, imitate Christ, imitate his love by giving yourself up for others. As Duke University profs uh, Stanley Harawas and William Willimon say, sex is not the most interesting activity Christians can perform. After all, even dogs do it with no instruction. (laughs) In fact, um, we keep our sexual relations within the bond of marriage because the promise to love one another is a self-giving, self-abandoning love as a sacrament. It's a sign. It's just one of the signs of God's faithful relationship to his people. It's one of the signs that God gave himself up for us. But then in this passage, there's greed that Paul talks about. Now, I've heard a lot of sermons condemning sexual promiscuity, but I have never heard a sermon from a pulpit about greed. And Paul calls it idolatry. There is no worse sin. So why don't we hear about it more often? What's frightening is that our acquisitive society encourages greed, encourages the sin. It feeds it like gasoline on a raging fire. Covetous desire, self-centered ambition. It all seems to be necessary in a society where there's a fierce competition between businesses and, 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 and persons and, and groups. People are motivated by their desire to achieve their highest status and earn the maximum salary in the shortest possible time. We're trying to keep up with the Joneses in the quantity of stuff that we've got. This is Madison Avenue with its ads. It's deliberately made to awaken desires in us which we did not have so that our appetite for possessions will increase And someone can make money out of satisfying an artificially stimulated need in our lives. In the process, the individual tends to be lost. The whole relationships get warped. We tend to lose self-control. We we emphasize self-expression, self-gratification. Children are pushed from their earliest ages 
to, 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 to imagine that nothing matters but success and grabbing and pushing and taking. So under the guise of, of ambition, we breed the attitude and exercise of greed. If nothing else, the proliferation of the storage unit businesses ought to be a testimony to our greed in this society. We, and you know what? We're not even attached to this material stuff. We're not attached to it. We're detached from it. We're detached from it because it doesn't satisfy us. And so Best Buy will offer you to buy back your last technological gadget so you can buy the latest technological gadget. As one of my friends, Rodney Clapp, put it, consumption used to be a word that referred to something that kills us. Now it's something we seemingly cannot live without. Here's how I picture the difference between the greed of taking and the joy of self-giving. Just once, just once, I would like to see a daytime TV program like The Price is Right where the winner, the contestant, jumps up and down and hugs the host because he just got a chance to work in a soup kitchen. Huh? Or he just got a chance to tutor a neighborhood kid. Wouldn't that be great? What if in our churches we did that and jumped up and down because we had a chance to serve the kingdom of God and the church of Jesus Christ? So what Paul, Paul's admonition to us in all of this is he's, he's ad admonishing us to counter all of this taking Perhaps, perhaps he's using a cue from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that we read this morning, and he's spilling it out in a little more detail that what it means to imitate Christ by loving in his self-abandoning way is, as he puts it in verse 8, by imitating God in being children of light. Now, notice he says in our passage that we're children of light in the Lord. And, and then, as Paul puts it at the end of our passage, Christ will shine on you. Besides Christ, uh, maybe the greatest ex New Testament example of light shining is in John's, uh, the prologue of John's Gospel when John says that John the baptizer came as a witness to testify to the light. And then John says he himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light and the light was Christ. You see, like, like John, as children of light, we are to reflect the light of Christ in order for Christ to be seen. Because how else could Christ be seen? See, light itself cannot be seen. I learned that in junior high. I learned it in junior high science class. When the teacher took, a, took an aquarium and shined a flashlight through the aquarium. We couldn't see anything. The aquarium didn't look any different. But then he blew some puffs of smoke into the aquarium. And all of a sudden, we could see the light reflecting off of those particles of smoke. That's how it is. That's how it is with the light of Christ in the world. Christ's light is seen only as it is reflected in the life of his followers. The children of God, as they imitate the self-giving love that we were made to, to give, 
reflect Christ's light. By his admonitions in this passage, Paul is, is, is exhorting us to remain in a right relationship to that light so that we can expose the darkness of the taking behavior. And, and he insists that we live as children of light so that we'll bear fruit that's good and true and just, to, to bear fruit that's pleasing to the Lord. In other words, by living as a community that reflects Christ's light, simply by living as an alternative society in the midst of the darkness of the grabbers and the takers, we expose the kind of sinful taking behaviors that he has mentioned. And we're called from darkness that we once were, the taking, from the world of taking, to constitute a community that's capable of self-giving imitation of Christ who gave himself for us as a foretaste of the future of the world that God has always intended so that by the contrast of our lives that we live together as giving, self-giving, the world will know that it is the world. The New Testament tells us that we love the darkness. We love the darkness where we're not exposed. We fear having the truth about us revealed, uh, made plain, stripping away our disguises, our concealments. But that only serves to keep us from the light, and that itself is judgment. To keep us from the light itself is judgment. Because remaining in the darkness, remaining in the darkness of taking behaviors means that you and I miss the richness of what it is to be fully human as God intended for us to be and as Christ showed by his life. Only when we turn to the light like a plant reaching out for the sun do we find the nourishment, the enablement to become all that God intended for us to be. To be fully and completely human as self-giving lovers. The irony is this. The same light that condemns the deeds of darkness is the same light by which we can grow in this life in a hothouse called the church. So as an alternative culture, we, the church, expose the darkness of the world's taking, of the fornication and the greed, simply by being an alternative community, simply by being the church. But at the same time, this alternative community creates a culture in which, as Paul puts it in, in, in verse 14 at the end of our, our passage, sleepers can awake. Dead people can arise. And they can have Christ's light shine on them. In their book on the Ten Commandments, uh, Stanley Hauerwas and William Willimon, the two that I just mentioned, relate the encounter that one of them had with a young man at a conference on evangelism uh, in the Episcopal Church. Right there, you know there's going to be problems. Indeed, after the speech, uh, he and this young man were walking around the lake uh, with the, uh, with, you know, and, and, and the conference goer said, I don't think we Episcopalians are going to be very evangelistic. It's just not in our nature to be too pushy. We keep our religion to ourselves. And, and then this young man related the story about a young woman that he met in California. 
Now, they were on their first date, and things were going very well. And then at the end of the evening, she said, well, do you want to go to your place or mine? I've got a big day tomorrow. And, and the guy asked, what, what are you talking about? And she said, you know, don't you find me attractive? Of course, he said, but, but this is our first date. I hardly know you. We, we can't sleep together. But I always sleep with a guy on a first date, she said. Well, I don't do that, he said. But why don't you, she asked. Because I'm an Episcopalian. <laughs> We're funny about who we sleep with, he said. And she asked, but Episcopalian, what's that? Well, it, it's kind of a Christian. <laughs> Well, he then told this woman about his church. And she was fascinated because she had never heard of such a thing. And so he invited her to visit the church with him the next Sunday. And the young, young man told the conference speaker she thought it was the greatest thing she ever saw. Three weeks later, she asked the priest to baptize her. And now she thinks she invented the Episcopal church, even though we're not dating anymore. <laughs> I mean, that's cool. And that leads Howard Wasson Williman to this conclusion. These days, just one person running loose in Southern California who keeps the Sixth Commandment is enough to attract a crowd. <laughs> Call it ordinary folks like us, just being saints. A city on a hill. Light. Imagine if it's not just one person running loose in Lisa, but a whole churchload of folks imitating Jesus in self-giving, self-abandoning love that exposes the darkness of the behavior that takes and invites others into the light of Christ's love. As you come forward to the table later this morning, you'll be reminded as you stretch out your palms, that you are not to be a taker, but you are to be one who receives in the attitude of thanksgiving that Paul talked about in this passage, that as Christ gives himself to us this morning in the signs of his broken body and his shed blood, that, that we are empowered to go forth into the world reflecting that same Christ, reflecting the light of Christ and that self-giving love to go out and expose and call back the world to the one who wants to make us human again. And so rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you and then you'll reflect his light. If we are truly people of the light, as the church in Costa Mesa, then the reflection ought to be dazzling. Amen.